If you have your Bible, if you can go ahead and open it up or turn it on to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. You know, sometimes in life, it's hard to make sense of it all. I've been married to my wife, Stacy now for over 20 years, and I still can't figure out how I convinced her to marry me. I, uh, I married way above my head, and it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever that she said I do, but she did. Uh, there's things like the Easter Bunny. Have you ever thought about that? You have a rabbit that comes and drops plastic chicken eggs on your yard full of candy, and then you have your children go and pick them up and eat what's inside. It makes no sense whatsoever. Uh, sometimes, sometimes it's hard to figure out, okay, why, why people act the way that they do? Why is it that some people seem to succeed and others, they get up every day and they work very hard, but it seems as though they're always just struggling. Doesn't really always, doesn't always make sense. Sometimes life can really hurt. Why did my wife's father die when he was 47 years of age of a heart attack? Why is my sister, who's always been a healthy person, now very sick and for several years she's been battling a disease that has taken her daily health? Why did my wife and I long for children for 10 years and go through that valley before being blessed with kids? There's things in life that just don't really seem to make sense. For the last few weeks, we have been discussing the fundamental question of Easter, and that is, who is Jesus? You see, if Jesus is the Son of God, then the resurrection and the crucifixion make perfect sense because He is God. But if He is not the Son of God, then they really do not make sense at all. And we've discussed how when it comes to Jesus, there are a lot of opinions. There are those that would be in the mystical or pantheistic camp when it comes to Jesus. They may see Him as some type of supreme being. There's actually a growing movement that now sees Jesus as an extraterrestrial that came from another planet and they would see Jesus as this supreme being who brings greater knowledge to earth and worship of him is channeling his essence so that we ourselves can become like Jesus. There's the secular view that essentially says Jesus was a good man. He was a moral teacher and he believed in his cause to such a degree that he was willing to give his life as an example for the morals and ethics that he taught. There are some people groups that have uh, skewed who Jesus is. They have seen him as a prophet or a pathway or something less than the Son of God and that has become their understanding of Jesus. And during this series that we call the Savior, what we've been doing is asking the question, what does the Bible say about Jesus? And we've been looking at four passages of Scripture that are in theological terms called the Christological passages. Four passages that really define for us who Jesus is. And so this morning we come 
to the final sermon in our Savior series, and we look at John chapter 1 and verses 1 through 5. And my goal for you today is to see that the Scriptures teach us that Jesus is the one who makes sense of this whole thing that we call life. So look with me beginning in John chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him, and apart from Him not one thing was created that has been created. So the passage begins with, in the beginning was the Word. Now it's important for you to understand in this passage that the Word here is a reference to Jesus. When you read the entire chapter, you see that becomes very, very clear. Now, you're probably familiar with the idea that the New Testament was originally written in Greek. And in Greek, the word that is translated word is the word logos. You may have heard it pronounced logos from time to time, but it's actually pronounced logos. And that word logos is translated as word, and it's the root word for an English word that you're also familiar with, the word logic. And it's used by John here to describe Jesus. You could read it this way. In the beginning was Jesus, the one who makes sense of it all. The one who brings logic to it all. Now notice three things about Jesus, the one who makes sense of it all. First of all, we see that he was with God in the beginning. And not only was he with God, the Scriptures say he was God. That the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that they are three, and yet at the same time, they are one. Secondly, the Bible teaches us here that he was in the beginning. Jesus did not come into existence in Bethlehem. The Son of God has always been, is, and always will be. And he was there. Before sin slithered onto the scene and messed everything up. Before creation itself found itself in the grip of depravity. Before the news cycle continued to demonstrate the depths of darkness in our world day after day. In the beginning, when the shalom of creation was intact, there was the sun. And thirdly, we see that all things were created through him. That's been one of those consistent themes in every passage that we've looked at, that He is the creator at all, creator of it all. Colossians describes Him as the craftsman of creation. And so you think about the majesty of the mountains and how Christ as the craftsman of creation sculpted those. And you think about the beauty of the meadows and how Christ painted those Flowers. You think about the variety that God has brought to life in so many different areas. I think about food. Food could all just taste the same. It could all just be bland. Yet the craftsman of creation created it with different flavors. And so you have the glorious, robust taste of Texas brisket. And you have your morning cup of java. And you have that kale salad. Ah, 
and all those different flavors that God has just brought to us through the craftsman of creation. One of the main reasons why life makes so little sense is because we often seek answers for life from human logic rather than God. The divine logos. And so when we do this day after day, week after week, year after year, the result becomes that rather than truth, we settle for a bunch of opinions. Rather than hope, real hope, we settle for wishful thinking. We find ourselves living life without purpose or intentionality. We're kind of like that feather from the movie Forrest Gump. We just kind of float through life. If you go way, way, way back, all the way to the first couple of chapters of the Bible, you see that the Word, the Creator, brings logic to many of the ultimate questions of life. Questions like, where did we all come from? The Scriptures speak to it right off the bat. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Why did God create us? We discover in the first couple chapters that God created us so that we might know Him and so that our lives, made in His image, might reflect Him and bring glory to Him. If you turn on CNN, you find people wrestling with these ultimate questions. They're wrestling with questions of gender identity. What is family? What is marriage? What is the meaning of intimacy and love? Does it really have something substantive to it? And we see that the Word brings logic to all these questions in the Bible. These are page one truths. If you set out to read the Bible before you finish the first cup of coffee on day one of your journey, you see God's logic exploding From the pages of Scripture, the Logos, the Word, makes sense of it all. Why? Because He was there in the beginning. Now, if you're like me, it sometimes is frustrating when people speak truth, but they don't actually bring that truth into real life. And so it becomes somewhat of a cognitive learning experiment, but you never really see how to take it into life. Well, in verse 4, the Bible says life was in him. Not only is he the Lagos, but life was in him, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. So Jesus leaves his heavenly home, and he crosses the cosmos, and he brings logic to real life. He lives the life that none of us can live, and He demonstrates for us what it looks like to live life as God designed us. In John 3.16, we see that God was motivated by His love to send His Son. In Luke chapter 18, we see that the Son of Man, that Jesus came to seek and to save those who are lost, the idea being those who are walking in darkness. Christ came for you. God Taking on flesh reveals to us that God desires for us to know Him. God doesn't want you to have to agnostically guess as to who He is and does He exist. We don't have to guess. Jesus says, look at me. Hebrews says He's the radiance of God's glory. 
the exact representation of his essence. Whenever you have seen the Son, you have seen the Father. Think about that for a moment. The God who created you and sustains you is not a detached deity. He is a loving spiritual Father to you and to me. God knows your name. God cares about your story. He knows all about you. Someone once said, if God had a wallet, your picture would be in it. If God had a refrigerator, your artwork would hang from it. God desires you to know Him. And whenever you know the Son, you know the Father. He knows your name and desires a relationship with you. And because of that, Jesus says, you don't have to guess anymore. You can know what God wants from you. He wants you to live your life in faith, trusting in Him. The Word, logic itself, has taken on flesh and lived among us. And the Scriptures say, in that Word, in that Logos, was life. Now notice the connection. You have the Logos, in the Logos is life, and that life is the light of men. So the Scriptures are teaching us that Jesus is the enlightenment of life. Think about how many books have been written, how many movies have been filmed about the search for enlightenment. And where do we find true meaning and light in life? Well, the Scriptures teach us that in Him was life, and that life is the light of men. He's the one who illuminates the meaning of life and makes sense of it all. He answers the great spiritual questions of humankind. I can only imagine how Jesus' disciples must have felt as they watched him die. If you think about their story, they had gone all in in following Christ. They had left their homes, in some cases left their families, left their careers because they were following Christ. And they believed in him with all of their hearts. And now they had to watch as it seemingly had fallen apart. They watched as Jesus was arrested. Some of them watched from afar as he went through his trial and so many false accusations were brought against him. He was publicly tortured as they observed. The same mob that seven days earlier had welcomed Jesus and his disciples to Jerusalem. Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Welcoming him to Jerusalem as the Messiah, the Son of God. That same mob just a week later calling for his death. And not just any death, but calling for his crucifixion viewed as a cursed death. A torturous death. And his disciples watched him die. An excruciating, slow death. In the midst of their sorrow, in the midst of their grief, they were experiencing natural phenomenon. The Scriptures talk about how darkness filled the area and how there was a great earthquake that literally shook the foundations of the temple and no doubt caused a tremendous amount of destruction. And they were going through all of this. They had thought that Jesus was Lord, but now as they gaze upon the cross and they see the silhouette of His body, He's dead. He's gone. And with it, all their hopes and dreams, literally their life. Ah, but then there's Matthew 28, 
where the Bible says after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to view the tomb, and suddenly there was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. And he rolled back the stone and was sitting on it, and his appearance was white like, was like lightning, and his robe was as white as snow. The guards were so shaken for fear of him that they became like dead men. But the angel told the woman, don't be afraid. Now catch this, I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. Oh, where is he? For he has been resurrected just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. That's the story of Easter. Life was in him and that life was the light of men. My kids kept asking me on Friday, Dad, why do they call it Good Friday? I mean, my girls just kept hounding me on this. Dad, 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 why do they call it Good Friday? After all, that's the day that Jesus was crucified. There's nothing good about that. Why, why do they call it Good Friday? Finally, I, I just went all seminary on them. <laughs> and I remembered a quote that my seminary professor had. One a good reason to go to seminary, it's so you can just go seminary on your kids sometimes. And so one of my seminary professors, I remember what he said. He said, the cross is a victory disguised as a defeat. To understand the cross, you have to see the empty tomb. Because they're connected. They're, they are eternally connected. We often overemphasize the cross and underemphasize the empty tomb. I should actually back up on that because I don't know that you can overemphasize the cross. We often emphasize the cross, but we underemphasize the tomb. But they're eternally connected. And the same is true with the ultimate questions of life. To make sense of it all, you need to see the risen Word. Jesus is the Logos. He is the Word, the logic of life, and in Him is Zoe, spiritual life. In Him is the essence of what it really means to be alive. And that life is the light of men. It is the end of your search for enlightenment. When you see Christ, you find in Him the meaning that unlocks the mysteries of what it means to truly be alive. Now, whenever you leave here today, you'll probably have your family's Easter celebration. We tried to be very intentional about making the worship service church. We're not trying to trick up church here. This is church. But whenever you leave here, you're going to have some fun. Not that this isn't fun. But whenever you leave here... We've got Bluebell ice cream for you. We have photo ops around the campus. If you can't take a good picture today, it's not our fault. Okay? <laughs> We're doing our part. Okay? Now you get a smile, all right? Everybody loves a good Easter family pic. Do it for Mama, all right? I, I always struggle whenever I leave a dark room like this. My eyes are, are blue, and so the sun doesn't really absorb very well, and so whenever I go outside and try to take a picture outside and smile for that picture, I always look like I'm in pain. 
We were at the Easter egg hunt yesterday, and we were trying to take family pictures, and like in all of them, I'm like, you know, it's like I need to go to the doctor or something like that. It just looks awful. And whenever you look into the light, it can be a little bit painful sometimes. It takes a while to make those adjustments, and that happens when we read the Bible, when we look into the light of Scripture. You see, you don't just open the pages of Scripture and read the Bible. The Bible opens your heart and reads you. But as you continue to look at the truth, as you continue to look at the light, after a while you begin to discover that it brings things into focus. And the same is true with Jesus. He calls us to believe in Him. And maybe your life isn't really making sense right now. You say, what does God want from me? What does God desire from me? Jesus repeatedly says He wants one thing from you and me. He wants our faith. He wants you to trust in Him. And when you place your faith in Him, then He starts bringing definition to your life story, even the sorrows of your story. And maybe you've spent a lot of time trying to find answers. And Jesus comes to you today and says, believe in my answers. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And Easter Sunday 2018, I want to encourage you to look into the light. To look into the light that is Jesus Christ and to place your life in the one who gives you life. There's never been a time in your life where you've trusted in Christ as the Savior. I encourage you to make today that moment. It may be that you've trusted in Christ before. But you've been wandering. You've been kind of living life on your own terms. And today needs to be the day where you turn back to the Savior and you place your faith in Him. What does God want from me? He wants me. He wants me to place my faith in Him and live a life of faith. Would you be so kind as to bow your heads, please, as we come to a time of commitment? Where are you in your spiritual journey? And what is God saying to you today? Perhaps today is the day where you need to believe for the very first time. And right here in this worship service, you need to mark this moment. Because in your heart, you are placing your faith in Jesus Christ as the Savior. Turning from sin turning from living life as if you're God, turning to Christ as your Lord and Savior. If today is your initial step, your initial step of faith, I would love to be a pastor to you, encourage you and help you. I'll be here during these next songs. I'll be here after the service as well. And I would love to talk with you more about what it means to be a follower of Christ. For others, maybe this is one of those take inventory moments where you need to trust God and trust Christ. Father, I thank you so much for this church. I thank you for these that have gathered here on this Easter Sunday morning to proclaim that He is alive. And I thank you, Father, for 
the lives and the families that are represented here, and I pray that in each of them your love might abound. I pray, Lord, that we will not wander aimlessly through life with quiet desperation. May we discover that life has so much to offer and that life is in you and that when we quit trying to be the star of the show and live for our own glory and write our own script and when we start placing our faith in you and trusting you, you can use us. You can use us in ways that we never imagined to connect with other people, to make impact. And so, Father, I pray that we might live as people who are forgiven, as people who have meaning, and people that have hope that lasts for all eternity. And we recognize that that hope is found not in our own goodness or our own abilities. That hope is found in Christ. And it is Christ that we worship and sing about today. In His name we pray. Amen.